Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Today, we look at the future, and we look at the future of cities. They are changing. They are going to be different. More of us live in them every year than we did the previous year. But they aren't going to be the cities of our fathers. And I have assembled today three of the most gifted and thoughtful futurists I know. They are Morgan O'Brien, CEO of Enterix. Morgan has a certain reputation because he was also one of the creators of Nextel, which gave us the ubiquitous smartphone. Then Jan Rins. Jan uh, comes from the Netherlands, but has been practicing as a utility consultant in the US for many years. He is a leader of the consultancy in the utility section of the World Circling Consultancy Guidehouse. And finally, Clint Vince, who is the chair of the US energy practice at Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Together, they have a keen interest in the future of the city and how we're going to live in those cities, how we're going to have them to be more efficient, more environmentally acceptable, and more livable. Morgan, you have views about how we'll be living and why it will be better in our cities when we get back to the new normal. It's good to be seeing you again. Good to talk here with uh, my friends, uh, Clint and Jan. I, I think the the future will be better. That's how I think all of us uh, want to orient ourselves towards the future always being better. And it will be better because more information will be collected more quickly. It will be massaged with uh, intelligent machines and services will be provided to us as uh, citizens that are better, cheaper uh, than what we see today. So technology is going to, as it has done so many times before, uh, pave the way for a better future. And that's going to be a future of sensors, communications, artificial intelligence, uh, manipulating data, which somebody said is the new oil. It is, it's the, uh, a lot of your viewers hear the expression 5G and they wonder what it means. It's simply uh, the next and, and most wondrous ever wireless technologies that will enable real-time connectivity in ways previously unimagined and uh, will give rise to those type of benefits. Jan, I've heard from people who work with you the term circular economy. Uh, is that the future? And does that really mean a world in which we can recycle practically everything. Yeah, I think it is, Llewellyn. Um, uh, and, and if we can combine, you know, circular, uh, which is, you know, part of, of building a sustainable uh, city of, or community for that matter, um, it, it doesn't matter. And I know Clint will comment on that as well. Uh, combined with um, a smarter, more intelligent, you know, uh, infrastructure and data as, as Morgan described, then I think we're going to see the, the best of both worlds. For us, uh, sustainability, creating a circular economy, 
uh, creating a better way of living in communities and cities goes hand in hand with uh, a stronger, newer, better technology and data and, and, and infrastructure that supports that. So, um, and, and, then, and then last but not least, I think, you know, uh, resiliency is, is, is important as well. I think, I think technology will help us as well uh, with creating a more resilient um, uh, uh, environment that we live in and an infrastructure that supports our critical uh, uh, businesses. When we talk about resiliency here, we're thinking possibly, or at least I am, of electric supply. Will the electricity, which is going to power all of this, it's not going to operate. None of these clever new, brave new world things are going to be any good without a reliable supply of electricity. And when we say resiliency, are we saying the electric of the future will not go out? It will be more secure, both from cyber attack and from physical problems like hurricanes. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, obviously, resiliency has a physical element to it, right? And, and you know, two years ago, we had a big hurricane in, in my neighborhood where I am right now. Uh, so there's definitely, you know, a physical element uh, to it that we need to deal with as well. We can't build houses in flood zones. Uh, we have to build our houses stronger. We have to build our roads and, and bridges stronger as well. But as important is, you know, the, 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 as well as the telecommunication infrastructure and in that more resilient, stronger uh, against both physical as well as cyber um, attacks. And I think I, I use this example all the time and I think you've heard this before, but when we had the hurricane coming through here and we were out of power, that was one thing. Uh, and, and being out of power in, in South, South Florida is, you know, is big with, without air conditioning, et cetera. But I can tell you being without internet, having two teenage boys for a longer period of time was actually worse. Um, Clint, you have turned the face of your law firm, Denton's, to the future, haven't you? You have a think tank within the law firm, which is very unusual. How does that work and what are you seeing in this future? Well, Llewellyn, we created a think tank. Uh, we're in more than 80 countries now. We have close to 500 thought leaders around the globe uh, advising us, many clients and heads of NGOs and policymakers. I think the future will be bright as long as we have people like Morgan and Jan guiding uh, leaders and policymakers. Somebody, uh, we've talked about technology, but somebody uh, once said that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. And so we're going to need a lot of development on social infrastructure at the same time that we develop our technology and, uh, and focus on resilience, which I think, uh, as you've mentioned, is the magic word for the next decade. A lot of what you've done has looked at transportation cities, and this is going to be really uh, Disneyland on steroids, isn't it? You're going to have things buzzing around. Uh, you're going to have automated vehicles, and they're all going to be electric. Uh, isn't that the idea, or are they going to be a mixture of gasoline and diesel and electric? There's so much exciting going on in the in the three areas you've just mentioned today, transportation, um, the electric uh, grid, 
and advanced telecommunications that Morgan mentioned, I think electric vehicles will become ubiquitous very, very soon. You and I were talking earlier today about um, what will happen as uh, we get to plugless uh, charging stations and much more sophisticated technology to enable electric vehicles to run. Let's just tell the viewers and listeners about what we mean by plugless. That is, this is instead of driving your car to a, to a charging station and plugging in, as we do with most things, this will be where they park adjacent to a charging something. It's a, usually a plate in the ground. It's fairly highly developed in, in South Korea, and I understand one of the, uh, that now the big delivery companies are looking at it for rapid re recharging of electric vehicles. And by the way, United Parcel Service is going to totally electric delivery in London. Plugless technology is an inductive technology. It's much faster. It's easy to use. It, um, and it removes a lot of concerns that consumers presently have. I think you'll see an evolution, not just to electric vehicles, but autonomous vehicles, and then vehicles with flight uh, technology. So it's going to be an exciting decade, Llewellyn. Jan, uh, this future, these electric vehicles, uh, where are they going to appear first? And what's inhibiting them? Why don't we have them now? And who is going to provide the charging stations? Is that the utility companies? Is it entrepreneurs? Or is it each and every place where you might uh, have an electric vehicle like your home, the parking garage, at the place you work, etc.? How does that go? What role do the utilities have in getting their product into your car? Yeah, a couple of comments. I think infrastructure, uh, having the charging infrastructure is definitely uh, important. Uh, people talk a lot about public uh, charging infrastructure, but uh, from our research, it's, it's pretty clear that 80% of the charging will actually happen at uh, the house. Um, that's also the link to the utility, because I think people with electric vehicles will charge the, their vehicle at home. Uh, will be provided by utilities, which is a great opportunity for utilities to expand their products and services and their and their revenue as well um, um, uh, in, in in this space. But it has to be, you know, charged in a smart way. Um, you can't charge at five o'clock when when there's when there's peaks on the on on the on the on the system. You have to charge it overnight, and we need smart technologies and telecommunication infrastructure underneath to be able to do that in this what we call energy cloud. Uh, world. Um, the same with all other distribution resources. What's prohibiting it? Uh, I, I think the price points are becoming um, a, a lot more interesting. Uh, I think the ranges are continue to, to increase. Uh, and, and we're really at the point now where you can buy uh, uh, the same car uh, that is electric, uh, performs actually better and has a, has a nicer driving experience than, you know, uh, that same car, um, uh, uh, you know, powered by, by gasoline. So I think we're here now, we see all uh, uh, car manufacturers only investing in electric vehicles. And over the next two or three years, there will be 60, 80, 100 new models coming out. So we're, we're right at that breaking point where I think things will, will take off. Europe will lead the way in China, and then I think the US will follow. So we'll be number three. We won't be number one. No, right now we won't. Un un until we see significant policy changes at the federal or state level, 
Um, certainly states, uh, you know, uh, like, like California and, and New York are leading the way and some others as well. But at the, at the national level, yeah, I think we're, we're following um, Europe and, uh, and, and China. Morgan, sensors here, sensors there, things looking at us. Oh my goodness. Uh, are we going to be censored to death or are we going to learn to live with censors the way people, people in your glorious situation in other times lived with servants? <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Would you like me to rephrase that question? <laughs> I, think I, I think I get the point. Um, I, I think what those censors do for us, just like what telephone poles do for us, uh, allow us to make a lot of excuses for their uh, uh, ubiquity in our, in our lives uh, going forward. So I don't, I don't think of it as being spied on, but to use your earlier analogy, I, I look at it as being waited on and uh, having services provided. But uh, the way, the way at, at Anterix that we look at this is that the electric grid that is at the foundation of so much of the present and the future, that electric grid is being transformed radically. And as it's being transformed, it needs to do so much more, to collect so much more information and to be so much more responsive. And in order for that to happen, it needs uh, connectivity and it needs sensors that are um, collecting data at a, at a relentless pace. And that data is then being analyzed and decisions are being made. So uh, it's all the necessary infrastructure background for a, a much more productive, easier, uh, less costly way of life for all of us. It's, it is truly the servant. This technology will be our servant. And uh, your company, Anterex, which people will not know as well as the, the other organizations here represented, um, it really adds a resiliency to utilities, doesn't it, in that they can, their communications will survive any malfunction, whether it's a hostile intervention uh, on the cyber side or a, a physical problem with weather, etc. Right, there's, there's, there's several different ways of delivering connectivity. And most of us, uh, all of us virtually, have connectivity devices that are, that are carried on consumer networks, which have all of the benefits uh, that we're used to, but have some uh, frailties, which is that they are uh, somewhat dependent on the way the internet is working and uh, are subject to uh, incursions. Uh, that kind of delivery of connectivity is a little risky for uh, the critical infrastructure like the utilities. And so what we're proposing is a, uh, a private use of the same technologies in an environment in which there isn't the same vulnerability to uh, uh, the internet and to incursion. So this all gets back not only to the resiliency issue, but cybersecurity. And uh, I think you're gonna see uh, as you as you watch the headlines and the political struggles are, are going on in Washington over uh, massive infrastructure investment that's necessary, it's not just bricks and mortar. It's also uh, the infrastructure that we're talking about here that, uh, that 
provides the infrastructure to support the sensors and the support sensors support the services and improve the quality of life. So it's a, uh, we're a cog in the wheel at Enterox. We're a, we think we're an important cog in the wheel, but we're a cog in the wheel that delivers all those futuristic services. Uh, Clint, people, hum human beings live in cities. That's what they're about. Will this city of the future allow places for people to walk, green spaces for them to enjoy? Will they be safe in the streets? Will they not feel that they are somehow serving all of the new devices rather than the devices serving them? It's a great question, Llewellyn. I think Waterfront Toronto, for example, um, shows us that people care deeply about privacy and how data is shared. Well, let's back, up, let's back up a bit about Waterfront Toronto. This was a development uh, orchestrated by uh, Alphabet, which owns Google, which was going to be the city of the future, but they forgot to ask the denizens of the city of the future what they wanted. And they were very concerned with privacy. And somehow you would think Google with this huge uh, uh, talent pool would have realized that people are concerned about the little human things like privacy. Our firm represented uh, Toronto on privacy issues and in Canada, privacy is a human right. Um, it's taken very, very seriously. So it's just a good example that you really have to work with community leadership, the fabric of the community in developing some of the technology in a way where people are comfortable with the developments and can enjoy it in the way we've been describing. But I think um, privacy, data sharing, these are essential issues to get out of the way up front. Also, technologies such as um, uh, enterics technology that can help protect uh, utilities with their cyber, uh, prevent uh, cyber attacks, uh, other types of uh, security, I think is gonna be very, very essential in cities. Jan, how do we build in, you're a European, how do we build in the pleasures of an old city into a new city? The things that we enjoy in established cities, the, the, the walkability, the things to look at, to feel, to give us a sense of our place in the human continuum. Uh, we've also seen modern cities built in the Middle East. Uh, I've seen them in various places, Kazakhstan comes to mind, where an instant city is built. And it, as my wife Linda says, one airport, one university, one opera house, one post office, but there's no one person, no humanity in it. How are we going to deal with that, Jan? Yeah, if, if we could, uh, you know, design and build uh, cities uh, from a white sheet of paper, I, I think it would be uh, a lot easier. Um, that's why we're seeing some of the, you know, um, interesting smart city and smart community projects, you know, in, in you know, developing countries um, where, they, where they build new neighborhoods and, and cities. But, um, but nevertheless... Aren't they sterile? Aren't we talking about a certain sterility in those cities? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, but the biggest challenge, and, and that's the point that I really want to make, and I'm from, from the Netherlands, you know, Amsterdam, Paris, Rome, 
you know, modernizing those uh, cities and, and, and neighborhoods uh, where we use, you know, smart technologies for energy and for transportation, changing the way we live, the, the, the way we, we move ourselves from A to B, uh, the way we use, you know, public facilities and, 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 and such. Uh, that's probably the hardest thing to do, but, but we've seen some great progress made um, in, in Amsterdam with electrification of transportation. Um, electric bikes, right? Um, uh, you know, believe it or not, but you know, um, most of the transportation in Amsterdam uh, is, is, is by using bikes. And we've seen a tremendous transition from you know, conventional bikes to, to e-bikes. Um, and, and all my family members have now electric bike. I've never ridden, ridden an electric bike. I left 20 years ago. Um, and, and, and the same with scooters and, 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 and such. So, so I think those, 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 those cities are really smart in, in thinking through and using new technologies, uh, you know, for, for, you know, to really support this, this modern concept of how we, um, how we live and, and, and work and, and move ourselves around in, in these cities. The same with buildings. I think there's advanced technologies now, how to refurbish new buildings. They're, in, in the Netherlands, they're ripping out natural gas and they're electrifying buildings uh, as we speak. So it's definitely um, you know, easier to build from scratch, but I think the technologies have advanced so much that even in older cities, you can keep the architecture, you can keep the buildings themselves, you can keep the roads, but you know, technology and, and the sensors will really help you modernize and, and, and go after all the benefits that, uh, that we've been talking about so far for citizens. Uh, well, I think you're, you're making a, a very important point that I think those of us that are on the technology side have to be always reminded that there need to be guardrails on some of the potentialities that uh, can be provided by technology. And, and obviously you need, you need speed limits, traffic lights, uh, and, and if you didn't have them, everybody could go faster, uh, uh, but it wouldn't be as safe an environment. And, just in that same way, uh, there need to be iterative processes between the citizen, the local governments, federal government, technology, so that we have a clear idea of what the technology is capable of, and then uh, put guardrails around it so that it, it serves rather than being the master. Uh, I, I think that's an incredibly important point. And I, I tend to um, think only of the potential of technology. And it's, it's not in my nature to, to worry about, say, as, as Clint may, but the privacy implications. I'm kind of impatient with that. But, but I think people like me need to be brought up uh, uh, to uh, I'm going to let that go. I could, of course, uh, interject now, but I'll let it go. <laughs> um, I want to know, we always build against the last war. Uh, after the Second World War in Britain, particularly in London, there was a density limit. Uh, we're coming through a war now, the COVID-19 war. How is that going to affect our cities? Are we going to build in more efficient medical services? Uh, are we going to think in terms of this new enemy that we cannot see, that is not brought to us by a traditional uh, aggressive country, but which is part really of nature 
and which we have to deal with as as the world integrates. Llewellyn, I want to come back to your word resilience, and um, we are going to have to have much greater resilience for human health. We're going to have much better resilience for environmental health and economic health, and we're going to have to integrate all of those issues in a way where we can modernize the infrastructure that we've been talking about, grid modernization for electricity, transportation, advanced telecommunication. We're going to have to do that in a way that as an element of sustainability, as a beacon, or we will not be in better shape. But I, I think people, at least at the subnational level, governors and cities and counties, people who are on the front line right now, are going to be thinking this way. I know they are right now, not just in the United States, but around the world. Uh, Jan, the, the future city, how will it get greener? How will it have less impact on the environment than today's city? Yeah, I, 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 I want to comment on that as well, but, but to, to Flynn's point, the other, the other thing that's really important is that we're, we're all connected. And, um, um, and, and we've learned in the last two months to actually you know, interact uh, and communicate uh, and collaborate in, in, in new ways that we've not done before. So, so where you are physically um, uh, will matter less in, in, in you know, the future world. And you know, we might see, you know, we've seen tremendous urbanization in the last couple of decades. We might see some you know, de-urbanization, but it doesn't matter where you are. So I think communities will connect, whether, whether you're in a city, um, whether you're uh, in, in more of a rural area, connectivity will become really, really important. Um, how, how can we make it more sustainable and, and, and cleaner and cleaner? I think that train has left the station. I, I think that, you know, our energy providers, our utilities have embraced renewable energy. I think their customers have embraced renewable energy. Uh, the technologies are here, the technologies are cheaper. Uh, I, I've seen now solar prices for large-scale solar at one cent per kilowatt hour cheaper than anything else. Um, so, so I think I think it's just a matter of uh, scaling it. And I even read an article this morning that said because of COVID, uh, more more coal plants will will be shut down quicker uh, because coal and and what we're needing now in in this COVID crisis, the flexibility don't go you know really well. We need we need renewables with battery storage. We need some other ways of of producing energy and, and smarter ways of of using energy. So. I think this is a done deal, and I think it's a matter of time, and, and our entire energy infrastructure will be uh, will be decarbonized. I thank all three of you for coming on the broadcast today, and as we might say, it's not your father's city anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, when we get when we get through the horrors of the present, it looks as though we will, as Winston Churchill said, reach the sunlit uplands, and that will extend also to the cities. That is our program for today. Thank you for coming along. And in the interim, mind how you go. Cheers. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.